0: The Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy Seven and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are broadcasting kind of our first official off-season show, uh, the 2021 season. Uh, My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at Blake Murphy 7 and I'm joined with my co-host the venerable John Venerable and Johnny uh, today we're going to talk a bit of Arizona Cardinals football specifically looking at uh some of the offseason we'll talk about a couple of coaching moves that the team has made. Uh, we'll get into specifically looking at the position and the holes that are there on the team as well as kind of some of the cap space, uh, the room the Cardinals have to make some moves. Uh and then we'll do a small kind of look at least at where the team is in position at compared to the rest of the NFL. But before we dig into all of this crazy offseason stuff, how are you doing and uh, what are some of your thoughts at least overall on just from letting things sink in a little bit more about where we're at with this Cardinals franchise heading into uh, what should be kind of a pretty defining year for them.
1: Yeah, welcome in everybody. I know it's it's a nice feeling when you get Ims or not Ims DMs on on Twitter and other platforms. People asking, you know, where's the pod this week? I need some some Cardinal content especially after the, the season ended. That does not uh, go lost on us. So we, we appreciate the folks that are ready to dive in the off season. We are as well, and that's where we're going to focus a lot of our time and attention in the coming months as we talk uh, NFL free agency, the combine, of course, the draft. Um, and, yeah, Blake, just basically where this team sits at the end of the season into 2021 because we have officially turned the, the page, at least Cardinal fans have, on the 2020 season the nfl playoffs are still ongoing as as you know listening to this divisional round coming, but the cardinals are going to start making making some moves here to their own roster into you know starting to leak out maybe some players are interested in in free agency whether or not the combine is going to take place or not that's an that's another question in, in entirely I, I still think it will but, yeah, I, I look at this team right now. Listen, they made a couple tweaks to their coaching staff. Um, they, uh, I believe, will, will keep Vance Joseph as their defensive coordinator. They haven't made that announcement. Um, but I, I believe just with the landscape of the coaching hiring spree that's gone on right now in the NFL, they would be way behind the eight ball. To, to have to replace Vance if they were to let him go, let's say, later this month, early February, when a lot of those prime candidates had already had already been sucked up and, and filled. And so um, what you did see is you saw the Cardinals release receiver coach David Rie, uh, that was formerly with Cliff at Texas Tech, spent some time under Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. Tom Clements, longtime offensive guru if you will retired as the team's passing game coordinator and um, an interesting note here that cam turner nephew of north turner and i believe cousin or brother of current washington head coach or excuse me oc josh turner will be promoted has been promoted as the new quarterback coach in arizona that was from dennis dodd of cbs sports now i don't believe those moves have been made official by the Cardinal team sites so they're not in any kind of hurry to announce that, but I just believe that if, if the Cardinals were to move on from somebody like Vance Joseph, which in reality, we all thought after the season finale that, that Vance would be safe, but if they were going to move on from Vance, I would have believed they would have done that by now, and so you're implementing your free agency plan with him well into the fold, so they have a couple tweaks on their, on their offensive side of their coaching staff. Blake, I think that you know, we, we're getting a lot of inquiries about who should they hire, should they get a de facto OC, and Cliff has made it known. He's he's here to call plays, and I would I would argue that if Cliff Kingsbury's not here calling plays, what's he doing here? Um, because I think more so than just the offensive struggles that we saw from the Cardinals in the second half of this year, it's basically our question surrounding Cliff, can he lead a 53-man roster into the final two weeks of the regular season with the postseason on the line? We know that they scored 410 points this year, um, and yes, his play calling was up and down, but I just think if you're going to bring in a veteran offensive mind to go with Cliff, number one, they're, they're just they're not going to bring in a guy like um, uh, the Doug Peterson of, of Philadelphia, who, who's going to want to try to get another head coaching job and to do that, he's going to call plays. I mean, these premier offensive coaches want to call plays so that they can get elevated to be. And a head coach in the NFL, and nobody's coming to Arizona that's uh, wanting to call plays in the NFL because they know that's that's Cliff's baby, and certainly not near three right now. Cliff is going to relinquish that. Matt Nagy did it in Chicago, but we're clearly not there yet in Arizona, and I would imagine that Cliff will be will be let go before he's asked to relinquish play calling duties. So I think that the Cardinals could very well bring in an offensive mind to help Cliff, or just like an assistant head coach. You know, I put it out there. I think somebody like Jim Caldwell would have been great last year, would have been great this year. Um, just somebody of that mantra. Um, you know, I, Norv Turner would be an interesting one just because his nephew's on the staff, but would he want to call plays? I don't think we can dismiss just another Tom Clements-like uh, presence for Cliff, um, somebody that has distinguished NFL coaching experience That's that's not green, that's been in the league for a while um to to assist Cliff day to day uh especially on game days with with game management but I don't think we're going to see anybody Blake that's going to come into the role and challenge Cliff for for play calling um duties I think that you you hire Cliff Kingsbury with the notion that he's going to come in and run his offense now I think we both could could argue that he needs to tweak his offense entering year three better to his personnel um but I also believe that you know for better or for worse if he's your coach this is this, he's going to be calling plays
0: john what what we talked about also that i think is key for everything is uh, with the arizona cardinals um this is kind of the way that we've you know we've talked about some of the you know look at all of the different options the cardinals could have uh, as far as for what you talk about for pros cons benefits really there's not a whole lot that you can find this really comparable where you've got a guy who gives up at the play calling And then not only ends up kind of keeping his job throughout a number of years for that one, but ends up seeing that be successful. It's kind of a thing where they're tied together for the most part, and ultimately being a head coach is more than just simply being, you know, a guy who can call offensive plays and call defensive plays. You're in charge of the vision, direction, uh, being able to even get guys to run through a wall for you. That's something that Steve Kine, when he went out and hired Cliff Kingsbury, a lot of people wondered, hey, is this a guy who men are going to follow, who's going to lead people, they're going to run through a wall? wall for him there was questions about the structure that the Cardinals had I think and what we thought at least for the benefit was hey we're coming off of this terrible 2018 season that seemed overdue for the Cardinals for them to all of the kind of cracks that we had talked about through that 2017 season after Bruce Arians left or no quarterbacks under contract. Everything seemed to basically collapse that season. The Cardinals looked at the entire scenario that they had of, hey, we you know we're gonna try to pursue this whole type of mantra of having carry the same type of you know culture of discipline over with the likes of Steve Wilkes, maybe more of a run first team, be able to make sure we're defensively focused. When that went out the window, you kind of looked at the balance at least of saying, hey, like you really saw where the power was concentrated with the Cardinals. And it was with Steve Keim bringing in a former defensive guy to be in charge of the defense with Vance, an offensive guy, to kind of run that room and help with the quarterback and Cliff. And as we've talked about, if that package is tied together to a point where if you're going to be having Cliff say, I'm going to have to give up the play calling duties, then that's where I think you have to question what then would be the actual plan for the Cardinals and that's something that I think we see with a lot of other teams too you know you you look at how this year with the you know John we talked about with how the Bears looking at the playoffs we don't know if their head coach and GM stay if the Cardinals beat the Rams and the Niners in that last game of the season a lot of times when it feels like that you're a ship that's sailing and doesn't have a course set that's where I think you have to look at what the Cardinals have done and you have to say hey like we can't just go ahead and throw the whole course out every other year. So at some point, stability does matter, and being able to give guys every chance to succeed or fail, because you're going to have questions from guys coming in if you just keep churning uh, through coach after jam after coach. All of a sudden, you're going to take a lot of those top guys off the market. And say, gosh, if I'm only going to get you know two years to succeed, and the Cardinals are going to say, hey, like you know, we know that we promised you all of this, but we're going to have to, you know. Not only just rip play calling duties away, but we're going to have to have all these questions that pop up. That's going to, I think, have a big impact on your team. So I think for better or worse, it's better for the Cardinals to be able to kind of be in this all-in-one boat with Cliff, with Vance, and with Kime. Because then I think that you're going to be able to say, all right, we gave them three years for each of these different aspects. You get to see kind of everything they present. And at the end of that entire period, then I think it's worthy to be able to judge So far, John, the fact that we're talking about this already, I think, is in some cases a bit surprising because we're talking about how we've already seen this team that's been continually improving and moving forward. You know, we went from, as we talked about it, 32nd in offense to ranking within the top five this year at one point they were number one we've talked about the improvement in win total as well going from three wins to five wins to eight wins the biggest thing i think for a lot of fans overall and especially is that i think it's double folded one was that a lot of people at least still didn't see this team passing the eye test even when they were at five and two when they started to struggle against other teams including you know Teams that were weaker than they were, uh, you think back to the struggles against the Patriots team, the last two games of the season, even that early start against the Panthers and Lions. And secondly, I think a lot of it also speaks to when the Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsburg, a lot of people did not believe in it to start. And so essentially, like we said, you went from seeing the Cardinals go from a kind of the deck was stacked in Kingsbury and Kimes' favor as long as they showed improvement To now that once you're trying to make that leap into the playoffs, the weight of expectations is big. And that's where I think we want to get into, John, as far as looking at the playoff teams around the league. I kind of had the feeling, at least, that was both a positive and negative. From seeing the struggles that we saw some of the teams put up in the playoff games and seeing some of the accomplishments the Cardinals team did... I kind of got the feeling that the Cardinals weren't nearly as far off from the playoffs as some of these other fan bases like the Jets, the Jags, uh, even a team at least with the Texans outside of Deshaun Watson, there's times they just looked so miserable on defense. We've talked about how quick turnovers can happen in the NFL, I should say turnarounds can happen. That's a positive I think at least for you to look at to say it's not like you're having to talk about like where we were at in 2018 wondering what the direction of the franchise was going to be. But I think that it also showed that in some cases, the elite teams in the NFL, the Cardinals, at least from a talent and maybe even coaching standpoint, just seem like they're still a step behind. And there's enough limits this offseason we're going to get into, at least, that I think there's going to be a question of, is slow and steady progress going to be enough for Cardinals fans to accept that we'll be able to talk about this Cliff and Kime and Vance uh, trio? for the future moving forward and that I think is going to be one of the big questions at least what are some of your thoughts with after this first round of the playoffs and especially even looking at how the Los Angeles Rams handled that Seahawks offense so well that you know Seattle just moved on from their offensive coordinator pretty much in a nutshell and we saw a lot of struggles that Russell Wilson has had in the Seahawks offense which let's let's be honest <laughs> they've struggled offensively after a phenomenal start to the season in every way similar to what the Cardinals have just Kind of to a different degree.
1: Yeah, I think it just reaffirmed a lot of what we knew. And the Seahawks have been such a staple in the postseason since Russell Wilson's arrival in twenty twelve. His worst season being nine and seven. I think they missed the playoffs one time. He's had double digit wins every year outside of that. They're always the contender to win the division, if not the outright favorite. Um, and so you expect them to be there every January as long as he's in the fold. But I think that what we're seeing now is something we talked about during the season, Blake, is the roster is so top-heavy. And, you know, you, you pay Russell pr- a premium, but you also, you know, you made some questionable trades. You, your first-round picks, like guys like Rashad Penny and uh, the linebacker Jordan Brooks, I mean, they're, they're missing on a lot of good play prospects Um, in the draft and their free agent signings have kind of been hit or miss. They're starting Mike Ayupati at left guard. That's a team that is carried every year by one singular player. And it just appears like every January, it's the total opposite of what they were early on is Russell was very much a complimentary player on those Super Bowl contending teams uh, with the Legion of Boom and Marshawn Lynch, multiple Hall of Famers everywhere. And now it just feels like Russell and some really nice receivers and uh, you know two or three players on defense shine throughout the, the course of the year but they just they have so many glaring holes on this roster that unless Russell plays all worldly throughout you know 6 months out of the year they're never going to win a Super Bowl again and they just Right now, they're at a, a huge disadvantage because I think if that game had been played with fans, you know, with the 12th man, that's probably a different result. So I think that that did not help them this year. Uh, and you could you could push back and say, well, they haven't been a great home team for the last couple of years. I just think in January, we've seen how that environment plays out. They don't lose those, those games too often. Um, so I just, I think we just, we need to be comfortable with Seattle every year being very competitive during the regular season, striving for excellence, but should we take them seriously moving forward in the NFC? I just think that there are too many holes on their team. Um, and Russell himself admittedly said, you know, i got to be involved in this OC process. This is a critical venture point in my career. And I would agree with that. Now, on the Rams' flip flip side, it, it is a little scary if you're a Cardinal fan just because of how well they're coached. And I think that we've seen that con- confirmed this year, affirmed, because Sean McVay is excellent, and we know he's excellent, leading in half, uh, he's never lost a game. And then you think about how limited they are because of their quarterback play. And, yes, Jared Goff's going to be in the fold next year and maybe the year after. But what's that to to push them back from, from drafting a quarterback at some point when their picks do kick back in? I, I just think that, you know, your hope with the Rams, if you're the Cardinals, are that they you, you only have so many great years of Aaron Donald left uh, because he is just a, such a game wrecker. But if he's still able to be viable in the next five years and you've got guys like Jalen Ramsey under contract and they're humming defensively because this new coordinator is a godsend and you give Sean McVay enough time to find his next impact offensive playmaker, specifically a quarterback, that's going to be an issue. Um, and it's kind of like a like a sleeping giant. We we feel like these NFC West teams are very good and they are, but they're neutered in some way. They're, they're not they don't have the they can't maximize their team because of, of glaring holes that can't be addressed for at least a couple seasons golf in LA and then you know the cap situation the picks bad drafting in Seattle they're they're kind of neutered they're like okay they, they could easily win 11 12 games but they don't have the depth with the playmakers necessary to get to and win a championship and the Cardinals are in this position where they, they should have everything going for them they've got an elite young quarterback they've got cap space freeing up the next two years they're going to have high draft picks they've got young talent but it's it's the caveat of they don't have Sean McVay they don't have Kyle Shanahan they don't have Pete Carroll and we're going to see it's going to be a really interesting study over the next 18 to 24 months how much that matters because if if it if coaching is the end-all be-all which it's right there behind ownership and quarterback the Cardinals are going to be in a tough spot because they're going to have wasted a golden opportunity to maximize on Kyler Murray's rookie contract because this is the time to do it. You look at what's happening, I think it's interesting in the AFC, who do you have on rookie deals? Baker Mayfield, Cleveland, divisional round. Ravens, um, Lamar, rookie uh, contract, divisional round. Up until recently, Patrick Mahomes, divisional round. Uh, of course, in on a rookie deal, and has been to the the postseason, the divisional round each of his first three years, right? And 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 who's the other? T- and Buffalo
0: Josh Allen. Yeah. Let's take it one step further. Baker Mayfield. Who's still on his rookie deal is the oldest quarterback left in the playoffs in the AFC. So, you're yeah. talking about how in the AFC, it's just all of this youth, all of these young players. And then in the NFC, you're looking at, you know, Tom Brady and Drew Brees are playing each other this week. So, there is definitely a question, I think, with the Cardinals that are looking if you're still going to be a step behind all of these teams. That's one of the things that I think will partially reflect on your coaching staff, but it'll also, I think, reflect on your general manager. And we'll talk about some of that with our offseason preview as to what kind of flaws that the Cardinals came into and what's kind of the best way for them to go from here but you're totally right John as far as reaching the end of year three with Kyler Murray on a rookie deal you have to be sure of exactly what you have in him
1: yeah and I think just you look at the teams that have maximized it those teams in the AFC that final four their coaching is is all premium level they you know Cleveland's coach Stefanski is going to be probably coach of the year we know buffalo's coach he was making the playoffs before josh allen got there he got to the playoffs with tyrod taylor um i think sean mcdermott and we know andy Reid and john harbaugh are probably going to the hall of fame and so those young quarterbacks are in stable organizations with you know good to great to lead head coaches and then their their rosters have been maximized you could argue those are four of the five best four to the six seven best rosters in the nfl and then you've got Kyler Murray and he's sitting here and he's thinking to himself, you know, I should be a part of this dance. Whether or not they would have advanced last week, you know, was here or there, but the Cardinals have talent and they have a playmaking young quarterback and they should be on an upward trajectory, but they fumbled away a chance to to get there and for folks to take them seriously. And so when I look at the 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 scope of the NFC, there are going to be chances for the Cardinals in the next 2 years with Kyler Murray making well below league minimum for starting quarterbacks, to take that take over teams that you know New Orleans is going to have, have a quarterback transition. Eventually, Tampa is going to have a transition. Atlanta, what's going on in Detroit? You know, could, can you take advantage of this window that San Francisco has no QB? Chicago, I mean, really everybody. But you would think Green Bay, and if Dak Prescott comes back, Dallas. Um, outside of your own division, there's going to be chances for you. But I think they're they're a prisoner of the NFC West right now, and that's unfortunate. And when you had Bruce Arians and you had Carson Palmer, they gave you a a distinct advantage even over the Harbaugh's, right? Um, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. Now, when McVay showed up, it was a different story. But you had an edge. You don't have that edge right now because there are questions surrounding – who's running your personnel department, and who's coaching your team on
0: Sunday. John, the comparison I think we've talked about for looking at teams, there were very few teams that we talked about when Kyler Murray was added that were kind of a template for the Arizona Cardinals to follow to get into the playoffs. And that In that case, there's really a couple of examples of teams who were bad and were able to turn it around, but it did take a lot longer, I think, than – we're looking at usually a lot of those teams and organizations had kind of a down year that was unlucky usually it ended up being with hey this quarterback got hurt or went out or something happened but there was not really a complete collapse of a team that then did not have a lot of talent that you know added a quarterback and suddenly within two to three years was back in the big dance you know Chiefs were a playoff team with Alex Smith we've talked about Ravens you know they were the team that you know, pick Lamar Jackson at 32, the team that was the most interesting one that I saw was the Indianapolis Colts, and that was the situation where you looked at how that things ended with the Colts, and then when Bruce Arians took over as the coach that next year, really the Colts kind of were a team that, in some places, were almost a mirror image of the Cardinals this year, and they were a 9-7 team that won a lot of games late, playing from behind and they had a decent but not great defense and their schedule at least was pretty you know pretty overall easy in terms of when you look at the lay of the land they got kind of waxed in the playoffs and then they were able to build over the next few years eventually got as far as an AFC championship game the biggest thing is that was a team that if you look at that coaching staff and you look at that GM spot that stayed in there under the likes of Ryan Grigson You really talked about how ultimately that was a team that really underachieved in part because... That was a team that missed on all these picks, that didn't really build an offensive line. There were some very easy and clear things that you could see that were just not followed. With the Cardinals, the fact is that it's not really quite as clear. You see, they've got talent, but they've had misses. They've got player and personnel and coaches that are fine. They've got ones that have not been fine. So I think that when you're looking at all of that, here's what you and I have, I think, talked and discussed, John. The Cardinals are in a spot where if you look at the, let's say the pros of, if you wanted to say, all right, let's let's kind of take this and push as far as we can. Let's say the Cardinals looked at this offseason. You listen to a lot of what the radio people and everyone said, and then you're going to have to move on from the likes of Cliff Kingsbury as your head coach. Let's say that you're looking at that. The pros you would have would be, hey, like, did we make progress? Cool. Are we able to bring someone in? Sure. The issues I think that you have is that there's a lot more cons than, than there are any types of pros, no matter what someone may say, and a lot of that is because I think it hinges on a couple of things. The first one, at least, is, okay, if you're going to move on, who's going to be then the new coach? You're going to have to be competing with seven other teams who have already been, you know, looking at other guys. You're also going to be relying on Steve Kime to essentially select the fourth head coach, and are you going to be then tying him to this head coach for the next two to three years? Is it going to be, a you know, another potential one-and-done should disaster strikes? You're also going to be talking about, are you going to be giving any type of regime enough time that you're able to recruit or bring in coaches? I think back to that 2018 year where Cardinals said, you know, no quarterback, not really a plan, and you had multiple guys turn that team down year after year. Uh, We've talked about how the Cardinals have been kind of a poverty franchise in a lot of ways. And the last thing I think that you take a look at the, the, not just the time or the effort, but. I think you look at, and we've talked about this before. We've talked about bringing in the likes of a Jim Caldwell as probably a stabilizing veteran presence. How we saw him have success in Detroit. You let him go at nine and seven, saying, "Yeah, you know, the, the, making the playoffs, being kind of this eight and eight team, it's not good enough for us." Well. You know, they fired Jim Caldwell, brought in a Matt Patricia, and now the entire team is out and Detroit's looking around like, you know, are are we like, you know, the worst job opening in the NFL right now? Because we got this older Matthew Stafford. We don't have a whole lot of talent elsewhere, whether on offense or on defense. We missed on tons of picks over the years. What exactly do we have That's, I think, where you're looking at for the Cardinals, and ultimately a lot of that is going to hinge, I think, on are you able to make enough slow and steady progress to kind of be in that spot where you're able to be a competitive team year in and year out? And building ultimately toward an identity. And I think, John, we can go and jump into some of these different Cardinals needs and the cap number now. Yeah. I think that you have to be able to give a third year, at least for these guys, to be able to then determine. And obviously, if you get to the end of year three and you feel like that the team is underperformed, underwhelmed, I think that makes it easier then to be able to say, all right, this is cool. We get to move on. And some of that, I think, John, does line up with some of these contracts with guys either – we are going to be leaving at the end of the year, just for how it's set up. And uh, let's go ahead and dive in with all of this. So before we get into the specific holes on this roster, let's just talk a bit about the cap room, what we think the Cardinals can do. As of right now, Arizona has about $24 million in projected cap room. Now the cap, again, projected to be somewhere around $180 million. It's going to be at least, at least, like, 40 to 50 million less due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The expectations for where it is is that the Cardinals are going to have at 24 million is probably, I think, within somewhere close to about the maybe top 10 to 15 or so. Now, here's the one thing that's interesting that we can put a caveat on that. Arizona has about 33 or so free agents this year. There's only 33 guys they have under contract. So really, you're probably going to be looking at once you add on players, uh, I think the uh, Cardswire, at least, with um, Senior Jess Root, is the kind of, you know, the sister show that we have for that. He had someone who on our site, on their site, I should say, broke it down. They estimated about 13 or so million dollars or so of cap space the Cardinals had to work with. So that's because, OK, it makes sense. You had 24 million dollars. You got 54. What is it? 53 players you got to get for your roster. You're only at 33 right now. You got to add 20 guys. That's going to fill in some of that cap room. There's three cuts that I think you can expect the Cardinals to be able to make. And that would be cutting Robert Alford, which should save you about $7.5 million in cap gain. You'll get a bit of dead money. He's released. You will probably be looking at the likes of Max Williams being released. He's due about, uh, what is that, about... Uh, base salary of 2.5 million. There's a roster bonus that's on there. If you let him go, you're going to be able to add about 3.1 million. And the last one would be Devon Kennard. If you let him go, you'll probably be looking at a dead cap of about 3.7, but you'll get another 4.2 million back in that. So if you look at those different gains, suddenly you're talking about adding probably about $12 million in cap space to what you had. So now you're looking at, okay, an actual $25 million in cap room that you can spend on guys that's not just going to be filling out the rest of your roster. This is about what you can actually have to spend. And John, I think when you look at that, what I see with that is you've got at least a, a couple of different moves you have to be able to make specifically around the likes of Patrick Peterson, Larry Fitzgerald, And I think the likes of Hassan Reddick become the three biggest names. Uh, So let's talk about those three because, John, we've already discussed and we don't think that Larry Fitzgerald will be back. We've pended that. It just seems like the writing on the wall. uh, There was another thing that came out at least with uh, Lance Zerline sent out a tweet kind of seeming to hint at Fitzgerald's retirement, the fact that his stats were the lowest, and also just the cost. I don't see Larry Fitzgerald being a guy who when you're talking about to come back put up the same type of performance he did coming off of a year we had COVID was questioning a lot of things. It's going to be taking one of these 1 million, you know, one year, $5 million deals. Now that the Cardinals are paying Deandre Hopkins, i don't see Fitzgerald being back. The question I think then is, what are the likes of Peterson and Reddit coming back? Because both of those guys I think are positions of need at corner and edge. Both of those guys are gonna be really expensive.
1: Yeah. Uh, first on on Fitz, he's he's gonna be 38 uh, before the season starts. Um, the Cardinals. It was evident this year with Fitz in the fold, were not good enough at receiver. The, the money is such a big big uh, obstacle to overcome. I don't think he's going to play for less than what he's made in the past, which you can't do. Um, and I think now just seems like the appropriate time. Career low in yards, average uh, per reception, catches, touchdown. I mean, it's time. It, but we could say that conversation for another day when, when we get the official announcement. But, yeah, as far as the other two individuals you mentioned, I think that – In my opinion, there is 0% chance, and I could look like a complete clown, which would not be the first time, that Hassan Reddick plays for anybody but the Cardinals in in a must-win 2021 year for Cliff Kingsbury, Vance Joseph, and Steve Keim. Uh, I believe they will use the non-exclusive franchise tag on him, meaning teams can match. uh, The Cardinals can opt to match any free agent offer that he gets, and if they do not, that team would have to surrender two first-round picks at 26 years old. I don't think anybody's given up two firsts for I know that nobody's going to give up two firsts for Hassan Reddick, meaning he'll be back on what equates to the franchise tag at roughly 15 to 16 million dollars per which is the going rate for a premium outside linebacker you've got him and, and Chandler Jones at least for one more year together for a playoff push with a combined cap hit of 35 million yes it's a lot but you, you go into next year thinking that you've got two individuals that if, if things break well could combine for 30 sacks we talk about the unknowns for this team going into next year positions of strength pending health that would be one of them Chandler Jones by all counts is going to be ready to rock and roll next year he'll be motivated because he's in a contract year I also wouldn't completely dismiss the notion that they could get Rex signed to a multi-year deal that would lower his cap hit for 2021 but I just I think that they would like to see him do it again but I, I know at the very least he he will be brought back um, he will not be allowed to hit the open market because if even if he goes and signs a big contract elsewhere and you get a comp pick, there's no guarantee Kime is going to be the one spending that 2022 20, comp pick for Reddick, a third rounder, um, that could very well get canceled out if the Cardinals spend money elsewhere uh, on a premium position. So that's number one. Patrick Peterson's interesting, I think, just because he, he picks a good time to hit free agency because the field is so weak at free agent corner too many question marks a lot of old players he's by by far the most accomplished um we could see the trade market get interesting again but you know there's no jalen ramsey there's no darius slay to be had in the free agent market um via trade so i do think that they're gonna have discussions but i don't think it's a a lock depending on how much he wants we have no idea what number his agent and he are seeking i would be comfortable with a two-year deal uh somewhere in the vicinity of 20 million i would imagine he will want more um i would imagine that a a gm and a team that offer him more have not watched him play there's a lot of questions surrounding his his health or his well-being because he is not far removed from a uh ped suspension and since he's been back he's been you could argue an average corner so what does that factor in for a player that's over 30 now and you're going to pay, you know, eight figures to? I don't think that's a good combination. But the problem the Cardinals have is they have not invested enough premium resources or at the right right individuals to be able to have a contingency plan or a succession plan for when Peterson leaves. Byron Murphy by all accounts right now is not a logical you know, a candidate to replace him on his own. He's not somebody that they can say, you're our number one corner next year. He's certainly going to be in the fold, but at 33rd overall two years ago, you would have liked to have seen that transpire by now. Robert Alford's going to be released. That was a huge miss by Kime. He's been paid for two years that he has not played. You're going to get, I think, his $7.5 million cap hit off the books, but that's somebody that they... Thought that they could invest in, and he would, he would be a contributor. It just hasn't worked out because of health. Drake Patrick, um, I thought he was okay this year for what they asked him to do. I don't expect him back. Um, so they're a, they're in a precarious position at corner for a lot of different reasons. But I just think that with Peterson, i something tells me that he is going to want to heavily test the market, and they're going to use their franchise tag on Reddick. So he's going to be available for other teams. And I think, he, I think he ends up leaving. I do not know what the Cardinals plan to do once Peterson leaves. I, I would think that if, if a Jason Verrett were to get out of San Francisco for a day and the Cardinals could have a meeting, that was somebody who really impressed this year. That's got a ton of upside. It's, his question has been health. Um, I, I'm i just not – this is going to be a difficult task for Kime because, again, there's no immediate – fix or solution but you can't be a liability completely at corner again this year if you hope to make the playoffs and for for those yelling and screaming at us that will just take a first round corner I think that's twofold number one is there there's been very minimal examples historically of first round corners coming in and playing like number one or even number two corners year one so if they take like a Patrick Sertain at 16, there's going to be a distinct and definitive learning curve. And then we've also seen, even if they were to get Sertain, they would have already signed a couple low-cost veterans that Vance Joseph will be probably more opt to play early on, that he slow plays rookies outside of the defensive line. So I, that's why I am fairly confident that they're going to end up with, at minimum, Redick back in the fold and one premium, and I say premium meaning like one starting cornerback to come in next year. What It's not an A-plus corner. They don't hit the free agent market. But somebody, if it's not Peterson that's, that's going to come in who's been a 16-game starter, that they can say can go and at least cover a number one receiver. Um, there are only bad options right now. And listen, they've got Jalen Ramsey in their own division. They've seen it done at the highest level now and they're gonna to have to kind of start from scratch.
0: John, this is one of the things that we have, we've talked about with the Cardinals and one of the things with Steve kind we use the phrase a lot, kicking the can down the road. And part of that is because the Cardinals ultimately, uh, a lot of it hinges at least on when they work to keep that team together in 2017. One of the benefits was you basically looked at how the Cardinals treated their stars and you kind of had your core four were kept together you had the big contract given out to david johnson you're paying fits 11 million a year you had chandler jones who was given a essentially when you look at the production he gave for the deal that was given one of the better contracts in the nfl with patrick peterson kind of finishing up his deal that eventually for the work he was doing for at least about i would say for the first year or two was valued properly and then was looking like a steal you know maybe 12 to 13 million dollars down the stretch what changed obviously was peterson's suspension the shift over with wilks that the cardinals struggled and then you saw back in 2019 and even in 2020 just felt like that the there were times that peterson played well and there was times where it looked like he lost his juice and it averaged out to ultimately average play for a guy who's a 30-year-old corner hitting free agency, looking kind of for one last big deal. I think that was one of the things that we've seen, at least with the Cardinals, was they never really fully embraced being able to kind of toss everyone out, being able to uh, embrace kind of, you know, kind of flushing the cap to be able to have a huge influx of available cash to spend. Part of that, John, we've talked about is the Cardinals being the type of franchise – That you consider as being, you know, almost like a, I think we've called it, you know, a poverty franchise, a loser franchise. They were a team that always kind of had to make some of these type of big splash moves to get over the top. You look at the Terrell Suggs signing where you overpaid for him to kind of pry him out of Baltimore to find a match for Chandler Jones. You look at how the team essentially, you know, back in... Uh, 2017, handed out the Tyron Matthew deal, and then that year ended up moving on from him when they wanted to renegotiate. Uh, You weren't able to keep some of that talent in-house. You also look at somehow where the team let go of the likes of Tony Jefferson, Calais Campbell, and others. They just didn't really keep some of that talent And the biggest thing, then, that's part two of that was they did not replace that talent then with suitable draft picks. That's what I think has really put the Cardinals into more of a precarious situation as far as you're having to kind of go out and pay, you know, your number two, number one corners because you've got the likes of Byron Murphy playing in the slot. Maybe he can move outside, but you're still going to be looking at Byron Murphy going, he probably doesn't fit as your guy who's going to go out and cover the number one wide receivers. Every single week, you're probably looking at least at the Cardinals saying, All right, we got to figure out what's going on with our running back situation because we got David Johnson's contract off the book. We got Kenyon Drake that we paid $8 million. Hey, like, glad we didn't sign this guy to a multi year deal, but now we've got to find a draft pick to be able to fill that in. So I think when you're looking at, especially the likes of cornerback and edge, uh, just going from the estimations um, through places like Over the Cap. They give an estimation for Hassan Reddick. Let's say the Cardinals franchise tag him. You're talking about, uh, you know, it's about the top 10% or so of the uh, league. The franchise tag would be worth about $15 million for this year. So you're talking about the Cardinals had, you know, maybe about $25 million to spend. Now you're going to take $15 million of that off of that books and still need to bring in a cornerback one and maybe even a cornerback two. That's one of the things I think that will be interesting to look at because, like you said, John, the Cardinals could potentially go down the long-term route with Reddick. You'd be looking at probably him going from, you know, about uh, $15 million for one year to an estimate of, let's say, about $9 million a year for four years for about $36 million and probably about $20 million guaranteed. So if you're gonna be talking about extending Hassan, you know, right now he's at age, what is that, 26 years old. Gonna turn probably 27 or so this year. You're talking about being able to get him from age 26 to 31, kind of that prime of his career, Chandler Jones type of deal. Because of the fact that he's only had one year of it, because of all those cases, you're kind of gambling saying, hey, like, if he does not turn out and it turns out to be a fluke, that's not going to be a good deal for the Cardinals because you're going to be then paying out $20 million guaranteed over four years having this cap number that's hanging around on your book when you could have done that in one single year and paid $15 million. Now, here's the counter for that. If Hassan goes off next year, and let's say that the worst case scenario, Hassan Reddit kind of... You know, worst case scenario would be you don't have any edge players going into 2022. But let's say that Chandler Jones, the things we saw this season, like there was a physical wall, there's just been issues. He's not the same guy he was. Suddenly, you're going to have to pay a big deal to the likes of Hassan Redick. His contract would probably go if he goes off and pulls it off again. Let's say it goes from 9.1 million to 14 million dollars a year for that four-year contract. Now you're talking about you know a instead of a $36 million deal, maybe a 50 to $55 million deal, and then you're talking about the cap potentially expanding with a new media deal, there's going to be, I think, a benefit and a con to signing Hassan long-term. I'm kind of with you where if the Cardinals decide that they want to keep Hassan and Chandler, make them do it again, and then kind of pick whatever version they want to be able to try to keep and extend long term. Yeah. The best case scenario would be to say, all right, cool, we can go ahead, tag Reddick and if he doesn't pan out, you're like, okay, well we can let him walk. The other thing that's interesting is let's say that both of those guys go off and end up being, you know, like let's say that they have phenomenal years and they both have 15 sack years. Well, Chandler's a guy who's proven at 31. Are you going to give him the big deal? Or are you going to look at 27-year-old Hassan and say, hey, like he's done it two years in a row? I would not rule out if the Cardinals can come to a deal with Hassan Reddick and be able to sign him with some of that. I would not rule out extending him and looking at Chandler due to the age possibility. That being said, you also can't rule out the fact that you're going to have to look at a guy who we've talked about as a potential Hall of Fame candidate in Chandler Jones is coming into a contract year, potentially just going off and blowing up. So here's what I would say, John, if you're going to be looking at the Cardinals, I think the mistake that Arizona made back in the day when they decided we're going to bring in sign Chandler Jones, we have to let Calais Campbell walk, they did not have a guy who is on the roster who could take over for Calais. This is the opportunity I think you look at with Hassan Reddick potentially being able to take over for Chandler Jones if Chandler goes off and suddenly outprices himself for the Cardinals. I would say that I'm okay with using the franchise tag on Hassan Reddick, even if it's going to fill up an extra, you know, five or six million dollars over the long-term deal, on the chance at least that you're talking about, you know, the fact that, the Cardinals, if he you know flops or flunks or goes under for that one, I think if he does end up flopping and you did sign him to a long-term deal, you're not going to probably be around as a GM to figure out what's going on with all that cap stuff anyway. You need to keep these guys both intact. So I am probably the least concerned as far as with Edge in terms of the Cardinals being able to be set for 2021 I think the question, John, comes the long-term approach from 2022 to 2024. Who's going to be rushing the passer for you? Is it going to be Chandler on a long-term deal? Is it Hassan? Are you going to be talking about watching one or both of those guys end up having to walk and drafting a first-round guy in 2022? I'm not as concerned about that for next year. And as we've talked about the Cardinals, I think you need to treat this as desperation time year over year. And in that regard, I think whichever approach Arizona takes – nine millions a year for four years for reddick or just one year at 15 million i think as long as you keep him you count that as checking that box and that's still a win for your franchise because no matter what you're going to be at least set for next year into the pivotal year for kyler murray's rookie deal
1: yeah and it's also i think people need to understand that it, keeping reddick around either the franchise tag or a long-term deal is a is a notch on Kim's belt that he can look look to michael bidwell and say i took this guy in the first round he's a hit this counts. We, we just waited a little longer than we thought we'd need to, but you could blame that on coaching. If you're Kime, you can spin it to Michael Bidwell in a lot of different ways, but it, at the end of the day, you've got a player that you've drafted that had 12 and a half sacks. I mean, if we've seen one thing from Steve Kime, he's able to acquire pass rushers when necessary. He got double digit sacks from Mar- Marcus Golden, he acquired Chandler Jones. Now with Reddick, Um, And I just think with with Vance entering year three, you want to keep status quo of everything that was working and then what was not working, let's get some replacements. And I think that that's why I'm so bullish on Reddick returning and then questions surrounding Peterson when we saw him get exposed so many times this year. Um, you, You need to be able to go into next year saying outside linebacker depth wise may or may not be great depending on what happens with devon Kennard. maybe they draft one one later or early but your two starters i mean you feel like can be bona fide studs for you and that's a good place to be um but you know shifting our attention blake i know a lot of people have asked us you know who do you think is getting released how much money can they save um just based on the current landscape of folks that are going to be under contract for 2021 we've talked about the key free agents by the way just a quick note on that you know, outside of the questions surrounding Peterson and Hassan Redick, the rest of the remainder of free agents are are not going to be priorities for for anybody. I know that that sounds you know cruel to say, but a lot of those guys, if you want to get them back, especially in a decreased salary cap year, you're, you're going to have to wait a couple months and and see if they have interest returning and staying um, in Arizona. But the premium free agents Blake mentioned, uh, mainly being Peterson and Redick. So if you look at the landscape of their of their current team. And where they could save some money, I think, complete no-brainer. Uh, you cut Robert Alford uh, as soon as you're able. You've got a dead cap hit of $1.5 but you save $7.5 against the cap. Uh, he was projected to have a 2021 cap number of $9 million. That's going to be one of the first moves they make. Um, again, if he wants to come back on a veteran minimum deal, I, I, could, I could see something like that. Um, but they're not going to count on him. Uh, another player that I would expect that they would at least explore – moving off of um, next year. Devon Kennard. if they're allocating big-time funds to Redick, where does Canard fit? Does he fit? $8 million cap hit. I, I would not imagine they would want to pay that. You'd have a $7.5 million uh, dead hit uh, of dead money, but you'd be able to save over $4 million. I I think they let Devon Kennard walk. I would not bring him back. When he's losing playing time to not only Reddick but Dennis Garnett, that they have to go out and trade for Marcus Golden, that just tells me that's, he's just not a good fit. I never liked that signing to begin with. I think if anywhere he belongs in a 4-3. And with, with Vance coming back, uh, that's not going to be the case, at least for 2021. So those are two names off the top of my head. And then a couple um, names to watch for, both of which I think there's a 50-50 chance they return, leaning toward returning, number one being Jordan Hicks. Um, if you designate him as a post-June 1st release, you save $6 million with only $3 million of dead money. Um, that's interesting. And then Justin Pugh, uh, left guard, post-June 1st, I believe, uh, you save just under $10 million uh, with a cap hit of dead money at $2 million. So, those those two scenarios, I think of of the of the two players that are released. In my opinion, while I think he's the better player, I think Justin Pugh is the one I think has a better chance at being released. But I could see him having his contract restructured and having that 11.25 million dollar cap hit reduced and put toward a future year, um, just because. With Jordan Hicks the Cardinals have really put themselves in a difficult position defensively where Hicks still calls the defense and Isaiah Simmons really should have been given that those reins sometime in 2021 2020 but with Vance Joseph so reluctant to play Simmons over Devondre Campbell. Now you're going to go into a season in which Hicks being there for Vance is necessary because we still have not seen Simmons play 90 plus percent of the snaps. So I would be incredibly surprised if they cut Hicks in favor of not only Reddick because he plays the other position, but another external linebacker that you would again have to teach the defense to. Now maybe you can get a Vallejo in the fold and and he could be a substarter maybe you get another free agent on the cheap but i i just think for people that are like cut hicks draft his replacement i think there's a better chance that yeah they could draft his replacement but hicks is going to be around on this team in 2021 even though he's a liability in coverage even though he can't move sideline to sideline vance has shown you who he is and so if you if you cut jordan hicks You're going to have a lot of confusion at those inside linebacker spots. And again, shame on the Cardinals because they could have avoided this by playing Simmons damn near every snap last year. And Simmons will be ready to take those reins like he should be entering year two. So those two players, I just think with Pugh, specifically Blake, I do not think that they want to have an overhaul in the offensive line because you're going to have a right side. And I know Justin Murray and Josh Jones have been in the fold for now one to two years, specifically with Murray, who has started before. But they're going to be a a new combination on the right side next year. We would presume Kelvin Beecham won't be back. So you've got a a second-year player that's never started an NFL game at right tackle. Justin Murray's going to start a position for the first time at 16 games um, at guard. I think we both feel like they're gonna explore options at center. So then do you really then wanna cut a player that's been a staple like Pugh next to, you know, borderline all pro DJ Humphreys? So I just think it's it's just a bad time. If the Cardinals had played with Josh Jones and Justin Murray on the right side this year and they had gotten better play from Mason Cole, you can move on from Pew with with less of a s with less scarring up front. But right now with Pew set to be one of the few staples, and I do believe Murray and Jones have a much higher ceiling than Beecham and Sweezy long term, but you can't go into week one next year with what will equate to, if you replace Mason Colt, center four new starters on your offensive line. So from a continuity and a stability standpoint, I think both Hicks and Pugh are back.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that, John. I do also agree that if you look at Pew with his age and look at how things line up, he still signed through 2021 and 2022. Yeah. Uh, He has, however, no guaranteed salary for the upcoming, at least for each of those two years. So being able to take, uh, he does, of course, have, you know, kind of a base salary that's set. It's just none of it's guaranteed. If you're going to cut that, you're then going to say, cool, we're going to be able to, you know, if you cut that post-June 1st, you may save that $10 million, take on $2 million in dead money. Now all of a sudden, cool, you're going to have to turn around and pay that $10 million in savings to another guard that's going to come in, fill a spot on the line. To me, it'd be much, much more sensical, like you said, to be able to look at, moving Pew kind of kicking the can a little bit down the road, adding another year, converting some of that salary into being able to get him paid, but also making some of it guaranteed. So essentially where you're talking about how that works in the cap is I think that, like you said, Hugh has done enough to be able to show that whether it's at right guard or left guard, he's a guy that I think you want to be able to keep. You can then turn in some of that cap saves into saying, hey, he's going to be a long-term guy for us over the next two to three years or so. We'll add on a year, like you said, to 2023. He's kept through his 33-year-old season. Um, I think that'll also then make sure that, you know, he's going to actually have guaranteed money on the books. That's a very, very similar restructure to what the Cardinals did with DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins had no guaranteed salary, and obviously you're paying the number one wide receiver, at least in his prime, adding years onto that deal. But that seems to be a pretty easy thing to be able to take care of. Like you said, Hicks is the one that's difficult because he's a guy who we've talked about where you're not seeing him play the same position as Isaiah Simmons, and you kind of don't want Simmons to play that same role, at least not in Vance Joseph's defense. Uh, he, Hicks has played the mic. He's the guy who, like you said, has been kind of the caller for the defense. A lot of what his role has been has been kind of the run-stuffing tackle who just has been in the middle of the field. So when Arizona plays their coverages, you know, you're not seeing it wide open. You're able to also have a guy who – You know, if you're looking at how he lines up his defense, you're really also talking about how you want to have guys like Buda Baker and even Isaiah Simmons be able to move around the field. Uh, You know, you talk about with how the Seahawks have done stuff with Bobby Wagner. He plays the mic. He's been – he and Keekly and some of those guys have been super rangy. What I think the Cardinals wanted to do, John, was I think they wanted to come into this season being able to play Isaiah Simmons – At the Hassan Reddick type of role where he's coming as more of that Sam linebacker where he's in coverage on tight ends, rushing the passer and kind of on the edge. And I think what happened was Simmons was not as good as an edge rusher as the Cardinals thought he could potentially be. And uh, Hassan Reddick was. So you turned into instead of having, you know, you're kind of designate and this is kind of one of the things we can talk about with how the team is valued or, or whatever, they at least stumbled into finding out, hey, Hassan Reddick is really good at rushing off the edge and he's able to hold up with his athleticism on some of these tight ends while not necessarily being your main coverage guy. You put him in that primary pass rusher role. Looking at Simmons, he played exceptionally well at the safety level and was able to be better in terms of rushing the passer on a blitz or being able to drop back and be in covered and in some of the, those guys down the field. So we had kind of a role flipping that took place. And what happened, I think, ultimately, John, is neither of those guys was able to be that – second linebacker to be able to be kind of your main coverage slash run stuff and guy that we saw Devondre Campbell do that they had intended that they drafted two guys essentially in the first round to play that role. Neither of those guys ended up filling into that role. So you're talking about, you're still probably needing at least one more linebacker for the team. And if you're going to cut Jordan Hicks, you're like, all right, we either have to sign a brand new Mike linebacker at, you know, right f- market price or, Or we're having to take Tanner Vallejo and hope that he's going to be that full-time Mike linebacker in the middle of the defense, and he's a guy who's undersized. And we've talked about how Vance doesn't like having undersized guys in those roles because he prefers to have a lot of size on his defense so he can get a good advantage in the run game. That's been part of what we've seen, at least, that's worked so far for the Cardinals. We've seen that run defense be, uh, for better or worse, fixed from 32nd under the likes of Steve Wilkes. And part of that, honestly, John, is you don't have Hassan Redick and Buddha Baker and uh, even Dale Buchanan, all of these light, you know, 200-pound or 215-pound or less guys in the middle of the field getting run over and blown up as soon as someone moved the gap aside. So all that goes to show, I think at least, is like you said, both of those guys I'd expect to be back. Uh, If you get into an opportunity where you could move on, I think you can. uh, But I think that you're right in terms of the Cardinals are still going to have to be probably more trying to patch that up versus, I think, moving on replacing. The one position we should talk about now is you've got a hole at cornerback one. We'll say maybe at cornerback two, depending on the views of Byron Murphy and slot. Maybe you're able to address some of that, I think, at least. Let's say that Byron's good enough to be at least your second corner role. The third spot that's a, for sure, hole on your roster that needs to get filled, I would argue, is the running back position. Now, let's talk about running back, because Kenya Drake, we're not expecting him to be back, at least not at the price that's going to be set. The fact that he had some tread on the tires wasn't as available. He's probably looking for a bigger deal. I don't know. I could see him back, but it would be on probably another one-year deal. Probably wouldn't be for the same $8 million. If he does sign a long-term deal, I don't see the Cardinals wanting to give him the money he would be looking for. It, it just doesn't feel like it's one of those deals to be made. Yes. So you're probably going to be looking at either putting Chase Edmonds into that full-time role, trying to split reps with Eno you know, Benjamin and DJ Foster, I don't think that's his best fit. We've talked about how I think that Edmonds' best fit is kind of the if there's a thunder and lightning, you've got a big, you know, strong back in first and second down who can be in there occasionally on third down. Edmonds is kind of that guy who you look at the end of the game in these obvious passing scenarios. Or is a change of pace who can make guys miss? I think that he's in in that case, I compared him to the Darren Sproles of the Cardinals or that running back to, you know, you look at the Cardinals and how they were effective. Whenever Chase was put into that full-time role, he just either seemed to get banged up or have issues. It it was kind of a spot where you just didn't want him to take on those big heavy carries rather than trying to put him in space or putting him out to catch passes and make a guy miss. So if you're looking for a running back, John, the question then is, are you going to have to talk about this in first or second round drafting and relying on that rookie early, or you're gonna be looking at bringing in a veteran and kind of paying them maybe a little bit more. I think it's kind of in a combination of one or two of those. Maybe you look kind of similar to what the Ravens did, although without the investment in Uh, the likes of, you know, they spent a lot on Mark Ingram. What are some of your thoughts, and what does the free agent market even look like for some of these running backs if the Cardinals decide to go down that route?
1: Yeah, so here, I'm going to say something that I said on Twitter that I I think that um, caught a lot of people off guard, and people got upset, which is great, and we love to do that here on the ROTV podcast, but (laughs) I, I, I think people need to prepare themselves right now in the year 2021 for the Cardinals taking a first-round running back. And I, I I got met with just angry faces and emojis and memes, and I can I can sympathize with that. I didn't say a pick-16, but we have talked about it. I'm going to tease it every pod. I promise I'll tease it every pod from here until the end of the offseason that this is going to be an impact offseason for Steve Keim. I've called it the empty-calorie offseason where he's just going to splurge, and it's going to be players that are – it's going to be short-term thinking who can help me in 2021 to save my job to save Cliff Kingsbury and I'm not saying that's the wrong approach but I also think that like there if you if if you believe that's his thought process and I do then there are obvious moves to be made now I the running back market free agency wise outside of Aaron Jones who is the, probably going to be the premier player and PFF has him graded at 42 overall with a projection to Miami at like four for 45. The Cardinals aren't going to touch that. Um, and I am discluding any kind of one-year uh, split back kind of player, Mark Mark, Mark Ingram, somebody like that, think Gus Edwards. Somebody that's going to be a one-year cheap deal running back, which you will be able to get, um, They that I think they could bring in. And I like, you know, and I would like to see him given a shot. But Kingsbury is going to come out and say that they have every confidence in Chase Edmonds to be you know, a top back in this league, and while he believes in having multiple backs, Chase has averaged this much yards per carry, they're going to talk up Chase Edmonds. Then I think what's going to happen is that Steve Kime's going to take a back, and he's going to take a back early, and what we know is Vance Joseph, again, will has a very, very difficult time of playing rookies early, outside of defensive line. That's why I think d is an option at 16, but corner, linebacker, we've seen how that works. Byron Murphy still couldn't play 75% of the snaps last year. So if you're a Steve Kime, where do you get the most return on your investment at a position that can help you in 2021, at a position that, relatively speaking, is going to be pretty pretty loaded in this draft class that's running back? And so I, I think that we could see a possibility of Kime trading down from 16 into the late 20s, recouping a second or a third or a third and a fourth, and taking the kid from Alabama, Harris, the kid from Clemson, maybe trading up at the top of the second, getting Javante from UNC. I think this is going to be the year where he gets his tries to get his Nick Chubb, and then you just ride that individual for five to six years and allow Kyler to grow with this young player, knowing that their shelf life is small. Um, and I honestly don't think that that's the worst idea, because what we've seen from Steve Keim is, you know, When you get to those second and third contracts, that's not his strength. So why not try to maximize out a rookie that can come in at a play at a high level for you? I just think that that's going to be the play. I think they're going to talk up Chase Edmonds for the next three months. I would familiarize yourselves if you're a fan um, for the next three or four months of the, the top five to seven backs in this draft because the Cardinals are going to go out and get one of them. And then you're going to have a platoon with Chase and said back next fall. Leaning more toward whomever they drafted high, unless Edmonds goes nuts, um, which is possible. But the Cardinals are a liability in short yardage. I think they want a big physical back to help with that. Somebody that can get tough yardage. And, you know, Chase Edmonds breaks tackles as good as anybody, but he's he's undersized. And I think they want somebody bigger. Um, and then somebody who's a better receiver than, than Kenyon Drake was. And Drake was also a, a big liability in pass protection this year. So that's why I think if you want to check a lot of those boxes, you got to take one f- relatively high. Najee Harris, 23-year-old back from Alabama, All-American this year, is is Taylor. ma'am. he's ready to come in and, and help you next year right away. Um, and so I just I think that a, an early round back is something that is going to be a reality for this team, especially when you consider that Kim always puts puts himself in a position to be quote unquote successful in the draft because in March he goes out and signs every position that he needs to fill out a roster, so that way he can go into the draft not needing one specific player that's why he signed sam bradford for 20 million dollars a couple years ago devon devondre campbell last year they're going to go in and say we could play with the 53 man roster we have now and then let's just try to go bpa in the draft um but i and chase edmonds is going to fall into the default starter and i think he deserves to start don't get me wrong i I really like chase and i think he's an important part of what they want to be next year but i also think that they're going to look to this group of running backs in this class um to, to to find their answer long term and I don't think that's a bad I don't I don't have a problem with them taking a back in the latter half of the first round, meeting in the twenties. I think there's a big difference between a back that you have to pay in the top twenty and a guy who's in the 27 28 29 range when nick chubb went top 40 to me there's not a huge difference there and i know people are going to be upset don't take a first round running back but i, I think there are layer there's a, there's a there's a top five running back top 10 top 20 you get in the 20s and it's the best player and you're getting josh jacobs somebody like that who coincidentally also went to alabama I don't have a problem with that. You know, Najee Harris would come and help this team right away win next year. And if you're Steve Keim, you need, and Cliff Kingsbury, you need W's next fall. And with the salary cap reducing, what players in the draft, you can't slow play a first round corner from the Big 12 next year or the the ACC or the Pac 12. You got to get players. That are proven right now that are plug and play not every draft pick is going to be like that but certainly your first two maybe three picks you're plugging guys in to help you win because we look at this roster right now blake because of the limitations with the cap there are holes in it that they need to fill and one of them is running back so they're certainly not going to allocate free agent money there but could they go out and get i mean we've seen backs walk into the nfl and immediately become top five to seven at their position so I just I think that that's, a, that's kind of a cheating way to be able to get yourself back into contention. The NFC West is a brutal, hard-nosed, difficult division with very capable head coaches and defenses, and the Cardinals are viewed as a finesse team with a finesse coach. And to be able to change that mindset, they have to get back to what they did so well two years ago, and that's running the football. And I think, I think it could start with a, with a player like you know Najee or, or, or another high-end back that they would get in the draft.
0: Yeah, John, it'll be interesting to see, because we've talked a bit about this, that there's been a devaluation of the running back that's happened, but it's not been as much of a devaluation from going in the uh, you know going in the first or early rounds it's been much more of you're not seeing a Todd Gurley going in the top 10 anymore you're not seeing uh, you know a Leonard Fournette or Christian McCaffrey going at pick four and pick eight Uh, you're seeing a lot more of these teams are waiting to get running backs but are still taking them and kind of the sweet spot it seems like is in that early second round or early third round is where that sweet spot's kind of been. I think you look at after the likes of Saquon Barkley, you talk about like that entire year, you had uh, three players ultimately who went before Nick Chubb went with a third pick of the second round. That's kind of surprising since Nick Chubb. If you look at the list of Saquon Barkley, Rashad Penny, Sony, Michelle, he's probably the best of those different types of backs. Uh, You also talked about, you know, the, Bucks have gotten not what they've wanted, but at least decent play out of the likes of Ronald Jones. You find usually kind of your second-level running backs are the ones that are taken, you know, on early day three. There are risks that you have. Like, you know, you talked about Josh Jacobs being an obvious one. Um, there's risks that you're going to have. You know, like you talk about David Montgomery not being a guy who's penned out as much. A guy I would pick out even with B- Durrell Henderson is a guy who you've missed on. Last year, I think, kind of showed, and John, we talked about how the Cardinals last year were looking somewhere in the running back market. The issue that we talked about was the Cardinals, where they probably would have taken and drafted a running back, was exactly in the range where they gave up that pick for the likes of DeAndre Hopkins. You know, we talked about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was a guy that we thought was an awesome fit for this offense. He goes at the very end of the first round of the Chiefs. They then have, I believe it was one, two, three, four, five running backs went in the second round last year, John. That is essentially, I think, what the NFL is choosing to do. The NFL has looked at backs and gone, hey, we don't need to draft these backs as much in the first round because we can get a lot of these guys in the second round, It'll be interesting to see if the Cardinals end up, like you said, potentially trading back, decide to still take of a guy in the first round. Because right now, let's say they stay at pick 16, you're going to be talking about a five-year, $14 million contract that's going to be handed out to whoever's there. That could be a huge steal because, you know, you're talking about last year, um, who was it, the likes of... um, I'm trying to think of who it was for that one it was oh just last year with the cardinals Kenyon drake he was on one year eight million dollar deal so you're talking about getting four to five years of a guy for what you paid half of the Kenyon drake in one year and that was just in the transition tag so that's then a question of all right is where are the cardinals can you find starting running backs outside of the first run i'd say sure can you guarantee that those backs will fall to the second run and that's kind of where i think a lot pops in as far as the best running back in the class. We talk about, you know, you mentioned ATN and uh, you mentioned obviously Najee Harris. That's, I think, a big decision for the Cardinals to be able to make because you're gonna look at some of these guys in the free agent market. Like, there's gonna be a guy like, uh, you know, I would say Mike Davis and Carlos Hyde are two guys who are gonna hit the market. Both guys, at least, probably got about 500 or so yards. Showed they were able to be capable as far as being a running back to carry the load. Can you be able to pay one of those guys? you know, maybe a one or two year deal, get maybe them for, you know, it's going to be obviously more expensive than if you're going to, you know, draft a guy, because that's just how rookie running back contracts work. But then would you be able to get enough from them that even if you say swung and missed on a guy on, you know, the second or third round, could they at least carry the load enough where you're not going in saying, yeah, we're, we have gotten no running backs that are able to carry the load for this team, which as we've talked about, the Cardinals like to have at least one guy running the ball. They changed that this year and partially because Chase Edmonds was just so effective on being the change of pace back to be able to pick up a high number of yards per carry and make guys miss while catching passes. He he just... I think, John, are in a spot where they're going to have to value, are they able to address the needs, and a lot of that, to me, I think, ultimately functions around the final uh, of these kind of big holes you have on the roster. We could go probably further, and you know, I think there's future shows to go over that, but the last thing we should talk about, at least, is, you know, we've talked about the second cornerback, we've talked about maybe there's a third linebacker you bring in. I think that nose tackle is one you could say there's a hole, but if you look at Richard Lawrence and Lucky Foe too, and expect them to step up, I don't think that's going to need to be a big contract. To sign, I don't think that's really a hole. Yeah. The one that I think at least is left are positions to potentially upgrade. You could say, sure, maybe you upgrade on the defensive line. Maybe you need to upgrade or bring someone in at one of the guard positions potentially. You know, there's some guards who are out there. We talked the same about ultimately with center, but none of those are really holes. The one that's not necessarily a hole, but maybe we should consider one, would be that wide receiver two position. Because right now, if Larry Fitzgerald, and we all are expecting him to retire, but even if he doesn't retire and would be back, it'd be on a one-year, $5 million deal. You wouldn't be expecting very much. That, to me, would be kind of shocking. It would be if Fitz did come back and take that deal. You're talking about Christian Kirk or Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson being your guys next year. That means the Cardinals are going to have to make a decision. Are you going to be looking at signing a big deal for a guy in free agency, which is a fantastic free agent class for wide receiver? It's nothing like last year's was. Or are you are going to be looking at potentially drafting a wide receiver early, whether it's on day one or day two? That, to me, John, I think, and whatever move the Cardinals make at that in the running back spot, because I you agree with you, you can get a cheap running back. Whatever move they do or don't make at the wide receiver spot, I think, may determine who they may pick at pick 16, because they've splurged quite a bit on a free agent wide receiver. You're going to probably guess that they're not going to be going at that spot at 16, just like we saw last year with the Cardinals. We were all talking C.D. Lamb for months, for months being a potential pick. Maybe even over the likes of a guy who could cover tight ends, suddenly the trader for DeAndre Hopkins, the need for a wide receiver one shrunk. Let's talk a bit about the free agent wide receiver class and maybe even some of these draft prospects because that to me is, I think, the big decision that Arizona will have to make because that will determine whether the Cardinals are forced to, you know, go after a wide receiver at this spot if they're able to find a corner. Or if they're, you know, in a spot where the Cardinals are saying, "Hey, we've addressed all of our needs for the most part, we can kind of splurge on a running back ticket like that." What do you think of the wide receiver class, free agent wise, and also draft wise, as it plays into the Cardinals' plans right now?
1: I think both are are going to be in the Cardinals' future, and I think let's start with free agency. They're gonna they're gonna spend big on a complimentary number two to deandre hopkins because they have to Hmm. because what we've seen each of the last two years internally has not been good enough christian kirk has all but disappeared um he's entering a contract year year four so i I think he'll play better but we don't know andy Isabella is no lock to make this team and there's really nobody else worth mentioning at this point if we assume larry's gonna retire which we do It's, it's hopkins and a bunch of question marks when you've got guys, significant Pro Bowl receivers like Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, you know, we like Curtis Samuel, but there's Will Fuller, Juju Smith-Schuster. There is just a plethora of free agent wide receivers that could come in and immediately help what has become. Just say the Cardinals are so one-dimensional, and it's just every Sunday, go out and save us, Kyler, with with DeAndre Hopkins. And they have to evolve. And you need playmakers. And Kyme, has not shown an ability to draft and develop wide receivers you know he, he just he hasn't been able to do it he's missed on too many from Hakeem Butler to Chad Williams to you know of course Isabella I don't count Keyshawn Johnson in there it didn't work out before um time with Rod Graves and Michael Floyd he let John Brown go his only competent receiver pick um and and that's burned them so i've i've compared it to they need to do what buffalo has done and they need to build their free agent or excuse me their wide receiving core via free agency um the buffalo bills did that with Stephon diggs cole beasley and john brown all of which came from other teams and i think that that's Kime has to recognize it's just not his strength i wouldn't stop drafting receivers because of it but i also think that if you're trying to succeed this year and contend maybe you need to go out and you need to sign a Corey davis you know, you need to spend a little bit more extra money to get the bona fide number two to go with Hopkins. Um, so I expect that to happen. Um, we didn't even mention somebody like Marvin Jones. There, there are like ten to twelve options that I think would be upgrades. I think the Cardinals get one of them um, for for this upcoming twenty twenty one season. I also feel like um, you're in a position where kirk being a free agent blake you in two years they they could absolutely draft a receiver high it just depends on who's available so i wouldn't discount a first round receiver a second a third um i don't know if i draft multiple but i also i just think that it's going to be a position where there's going to be a lot of options jerry judy and Ceedee lamb were both available at pick 16 last year so the cardinals are going to be in a really good position to upgrade that that unit again and i expect i expect them to so you know, if you' if you're Andy Isabella, I, I think it, it's time to start thinking about do I need to relocate you know where I where I'm currently occupied because I, I could be traded, I could be cut. I just don't think that they have an appetite for him on the roster anymore. He was He was inactive under a regime that drafted him and a coach that fought for him and he's not playing the final few games of the season. I, I just think that his his days are numbered as a cardinal.
0: It's going to be really interesting to see because I know that this has been kind of one of the areas where Walter and I have both been fine with where Isabella has been to this point. The issue I think that, like you said, John, was the expectation was that you would probably see a lot more of uh, the Arizona Cardinals for that one. Uh, Let me just kind of wrap up with some of this one for the, Looking at all that, I think for the price that you're paying for Isabella, the fact that Fitzgerald is going to be there, you got Kirk over into the slot, it's the last two years of Isabella's deal. I think that you're getting in a... Cheap veteran to push him. Think more of like the Farrell Cooper type. The biggest thing that's going to be really interesting to me, John, is if you're going to have to spend, if you're the Arizona Cardinals, there's going to be a lot of issues that you're going to have because you're talking about how, uh, if you look at the contract situation for some of these different guys it's looking at with the Juju Allen, all the other guys, if you're already tagging Hassan Reddick, you're talking about $15 million a year even if you and that's out of, you know, the twenty five million we're estimating the Cardinals have, you've got about then maybe ten million of left that you can kinda of spend as far as for, you know, making a splash and getting some guys. Really, th- these wide receivers are going to make bank next year. You're talking about probably about $19 million estimate for Allen Robinson, who's been one of the strongest wide receivers that year. Corey Davis is probably going to make about $10 million so. Juju and Will Fuller are going to be pushing probably about $15 million a year. Now, maybe Will Fuller ends up because of the – suspension he had, at least with the PEDs, it ends up being a little bit less. But right now, the the wide receiver market for this one, yeah, I mean, like Kenny Galladay, my gosh, Kenny Galladay is going to be, you know, probably paid somewhere close to $17 million a year. If you're talking about the Cardinals being able to stabilize the positions with how it's going to work out it's going to be really tight and that's where if you get someone who falls and falters, I think it's going to be very difficult. You're going to be putting a lot of pressure on that first round draft pick for there. So what I think at least you could look at is, you know, maybe the likes of a shorter deal for one or two of those guys to bring into challenge. But I felt like that if you're going to pay one of those guys there, you know, you're going to probably be then saying, all right, We're going to probably have to draft and play whoever we're going to get and that first round pick. And it might be that you're not able to sign or bring in a franchise corner or an offensive guard. So at some point, John, what we've talked about, and this has been where I think we can leave off of the Cardinals by missing on so many draft picks up into this point have kind of backed themselves into a corner where it's hard to see them make much more, you know, full on improvement or churning over the roster from where it is this past year. With the players and with the cap space that they have, I think that there's ways where you can get it done at least. And what, what I would expect, at least, what I think may be the case, is I could see the Cardinals looking at how much money a lot of these free agent wide receivers get and go, All right, we're going to have to do exactly what the Cardinals did with Isaiah Simmons. And you struck out on an inside linebacker, you, you struck out at least in some of those different deals. Maybe that's the case for the wide receiver. It'll depend to me. If you get one of the top three guys this year's draft, which obviously are Jamar Chase, I don't think Devonta Smith at least will be there. I don't think Chase will be there. Maybe Waddle falls. Maybe you look at the tier two guys. We've talked about some of those things for trading back. I think that's another potential legit option where maybe one of those guys falls Because teams go crazy on free agency this year at the wide receiver spot. If those guys end up being gone, you're talking, like you said, John, about trying to find a high impact in the first round, trying to get some of these different shots. I think what really it's going to come down to, John, is are we going to be sitting talking about the same issues, concerns, lack of rookies playing for this Cardinals regime in 2022? If that's the case, John, I think that we're going to be then talking about this being an off-season, like you said, of desperation of having to save the cards. I think that this is a spot where if Eric Arizona does not do a good job of managing their offensive talent, being able to fill some of these holes on defense. Do you think we're going to be talking about a new regime entering the 2022 offseason for the Cardinals?
1: Yeah, totally agree. I I hope it's a conversation we we don't have to have. (laughs)
0: Uh, right now, John, um, I'm going to sign off at least for us. And are you going to have to get going? Um, tell the listeners where you are located and where they can follow you and your content.
1: Yeah, of course. Here on the ROTV podcast with Blake, RevengeOfTheBirds.com. I'm on Twitter at JohnnyVenerable, uh, and Blake, where can they find your content?
0: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. I'll also be there on Revenge of the Birds. Um, John, I know you've been keeping up, you said, with the Periscope streams, at least for that. Uh, You can look forward to following John maybe about like once a week or so, as far as equipment, it seems like he's committed to. Uh, At least as long as Periscope has been lasting, we'll see how the Twitter live and all of that works. Uh, Hopefully we'll be able to uh, get a bit more as far as talking about some upcoming mock drafts and, you know, shake out the rest of the coaching staff and how that will work around the NFL as well. From all of us here at Revenge of the Birds, hope you guys have a solid week. Take care and have a good Friday, everyone.